From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Welcome back to the Theology on Mission podcast. We're really glad that you're listening to us. We recently just had our missional commons, which was hosted by Northern Seminary and the Ecclesia Network, and we had a great uh, bunch of speakers and people come out, and a whole great group of people. It was uh, people were saying it was the best missional commons ever. We were focusing on the mission of preaching, but before we jumped into that, Mandy Smith came and talked to us about boasting in weakness, letting God be revealed in our human limitations, and this is the first of five special episodes based around our missional comments. Just a little bit about Mandy. She's originally from Australia. She is currently the senior pastor of University Christian Church, which is a campus and neighborhood congregation outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, which also hosts a fair trade cafe. She is a contributing editor for Leadership Journal and the author of Making a Mess and Meeting God. She is just come out with a new book called Vulnerable, The Vulnerable Pastor, which is what her talk today is based on. Um, I'm really glad that you prayed because I was going to if you didn't, because my prayer for you all is that there will be some place of, of connection with our stories, and if there's any way in which you, you are where I was about five years ago, that you'll find some hope tonight. Uh, I want to share with you the story of, of coming from a place of just telling God, I can't do this, uh, to finding real joy, actually, and freedom in my ministry. And the funny thing is, it's just from facing my own humanness. And so just before we begin, I wanted to make sure that we're on the same page with defining this vulnerability idea. You know, I know that Brene Brown has done the TED Talks recently, which is fantastic. And she's often talking a lot about feeling vulnerable, so choosing to say things or do things that make us feel vulnerable, which is a part of what I talk about. But a, a bigger part of, of what we're going to be talking about is just what it means to just be human, the, the vulnerability of our very existence, living with skin, living in a body that gets tired, living in a brain that runs out of ideas and energy and limitation. And uh, we're in a place in the history of the church where we don't know what to do with those things because we've brought all these business models of what leadership looks like and those don't allow for our normal human vulnerability. But thankfully, praise God, in his way, there is absolutely room for that. In fact, he sees it as a resource. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, wanted to begin by just sharing the story of what helped this process for me. And, uh, you know, like probably a lot of you, I uh, had an early sense of call to ministry when I was about 11 years old. I was at Girls Brigade Camp, which is like this British version of Girl Scouts, I guess. And we had uniforms and little military movements and the whole bit, you know, and it was at this girls' brigade camp, um, sense God calling something on my heart, and when uh, I spoke to the woman who was the chaplain, she said, I really sense God has something special for you, and she had been a missionary, so I was like, oh, that's it, I'm going to be a missionary, and so the rest of my life since then has been kind of exploring what this thing, this special thing is that God has for me. 
And so that looked like going to Bible college, that looked like uh, writing a couple of books when I was home with my kids, exploring all kinds of different opportunities to get into ministry. And then when my youngest went to school, I started part-time as associate pastor at University Christian Church and felt like this might be the kind of thing that we're talking about. But then uh, my the lead pastor at the time was stepping into some, some other work that he was doing outside of the church, and we decided it was time for us to co-lead. And this felt like something special. This felt like okay, this is what I've been waiting for. And it felt like an exciting time, but also a nerve-wracking time. And right around that time, I went to a huge Christian conference. And I went with such an open heart, expecting that this was going to be the thing that was going to equip me to be co-lead pastor of this church. And it did definitely equip me, but not in the way that I expected. Because when I look back on it now, it feels like I ran headlong into a brick wall. Because after a, year, a day or so of going to workshops and hearing the plenaries, I just felt like there was nobody there who looked like me. Nobody talked like me. Many of the ways that they said, you know, all leaders will be motivated by this, I was just like, nope, it's just not working for me. And I went with such an open heart and expected so much to be equipped and included that this felt like such a slap in the face. Nobody was out going out of their way to exclude me, but there were so many things that directly or indirectly just did not include me, my personality, my gender, being not from this country. And so uh, it, I, I tried my best to kind of get through this, but eventually I just I kind of like pretended I was having a coughing fit because I wanted to hide the fact that I was just blubbering in the middle of this event and just fled to my room, to my hotel room, where I just kind of holed up for 24 hours, locked myself in there. And it's kind of a blur to me now. I remember dry retching several times. I remember fitful sleep. I remember just lying on the bed and just telling God, I've got nothing. If what I just saw is what I need to be, I've got nothing. You've made a mistake. And the place inside of me where I normally go to draw on some kind of strength was just like a desert. I just felt nothing. And I really wanted to God to, God to come alongside of me and say, you know, like, like your best friend does, and he's like, no, 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 look at all the good things that you can do. Look at all your gifts. Look at all your skills. Look at all your experience. That's really what I wanted from God right then, and I really didn't get that. He was just sitting there saying, yep, you got nothing, and it's okay. And he kept saying to me, in your weakness, I am strong. And it just felt so flat at the time. I was like, yeah, yeah, God, I know. I've heard that all before. But that has become my catchphrase. And if you read the book, you'll see I, I quote that because it, it, there is so much power in that. And I think in the past I had understood, in your weakness, I will make you strong. But instead, I've come to see how in our weakness, he has an opportunity to be strong. But we have to be courageous enough to let our weakness be shown to let ourselves, and this is where the choosing to be vulnerable piece comes in. We have to show all the ways that we are lacking in order for his strength to be shown in that, in that place where we have nothing. And so, as you can imagine, I stepped into that co-lead pastor role with, with less than a fullness of my own strength. I stepped in with, with shaking because I had a very clear sense of this ideal of this strong, in-control leader with perfect hair and great teeth and, you know, I, this person that I could never be is what I was trying to be as I stepped into this leadership role. But I didn't have the luxury. I would have loved to have just said, you know what, let me just go home and practice this for like six months by myself 
and then I'll come back and I'll be just the, the perfect pastor for you. But as you know, that's just not a luxury that we, that we have. And so I felt like I was practicing in public constantly. I felt like I have an audience of 200 people here watching if I can do this. Uh, but as I was wrestling through all of that, God came to, to show me many, several different opportunities in a row that really helped break through. And one of the major days for me was a morning when my husband and I had had an argument and I just really wasn't together. And so I came into the office early to try to sort myself out before I had to go into this meeting that we were supposed to have some decision made for. And uh, I came into the office and Anthony, my associate pastor, was already there and I wasn't expecting it. And so just out of habit, self-preservation, I grabbed some tissues and some makeup and ran to the bathroom. And as soon as I locked the door behind me, I was like, what am I doing? I can't pretend. I've never been good at pretending. I'm not upset about something. And so reluctantly, I dragged myself back into the office, still a mess, still tears running down my face, and said, I have to be honest with you. I know I was supposed to have a decision made for this meeting today. I'm just not ready for that. Not only that, I feel like just crawling home and going to bed right now. I'm just, I don't have it all together. And it, it felt like so much shame to be able to have to say that. And the most beautiful thing happened, three beautiful things happened, actually, which I never could have planned or expected. All I was doing was just trying to be myself and trying to be honest because that's all I could do. But right then, he stopped and he got to pastor me. This man, who I've known since he was 19 years old, prayed for me. And it was beautiful for me, and I think it was beautiful for him too, that he had an opportunity to, to care for me in that way. And then secondly, he was able to say, well, actually, you know what? I was thinking about that meeting that we are going to have today, and I've got an idea. Would you like to hear it? And of course, I was like, of course, yes. And he had an opportunity to step into some leadership and, and share some ideas and be stretched in that way. And then third, he got to see that ministry families have to deal with junk too, just like everybody else, and that he doesn't have to be perfect in order to step into leadership. And so without even meaning to, I wish I could tell you I had planned all that stuff, but I didn't. But God used it, and I started to see there might be some truth in this business, that somehow in me being a blubbering mess, I'm not pretty when I cry at all. It is not a pretty sight. It's not delicate. It's ugly, and it's, there's snot, serious snot. <laughs> Um, and so even in that, like I'm leaking here in front of you, Anthony, and you find grace in it. And that gave me grace to see that somehow in this morning that felt like failure to me, felt like shame, somehow something beautiful happened in our, in our office that morning. And I started to see maybe there's something serious going on here. Maybe there's something really to this. And this became a kind of confession, you know, Confession has kind of become a dirty word, and it's not something that I know of many churches doing. Uh, but when it's this kind of confession, just of our own humanity, in addition to whatever sins we want to confess to each other, to be honest with each other, to say, I'm not having a good day today. I don't know, I don't know the answer to this thing. I, I don't understand God here. I'm having doubts. I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick. Whatever those ways that we have to confess to each other. Something beautiful breaks through. And as we see the grace in the face of some other human being, we start to believe that perhaps God has that kind of grace for us as well. And so then I started to kind of test, what would this look like if I kind of leaked this beyond my staff? What if it wasn't just something that we did in our office together? And so then I started trying it out with, in discipleship groups. And of course, there are, ways, there are good and bad ways to be vulnerable, and we have to think carefully about 
if people are capable and ready for the things that we're sharing with them. But I had an experience even just last week, which I was like, man, why have I already written the book? I wish I could include this in the book because it was powerful. Um, where I uh, was actually leading a discipleship huddle, you know, the 3DM thing, if any of you guys have done that. And so, and it's with 20-something-year-old young women. I'm like old enough to be most of their mother, most of theirs mother. What is ours in the back there? I don't know what the right... I'm old enough to be them, all of their mothers. No, that's all right. <laughs> I'm just old, and they're young. Um, anyway, I'm old enough to have myself together in this kind of situation. And um, one of them started sharing about an experience they'd had a few weeks ago and how they'd had this really difficult week, and God had really used it, but it was really hard, and they'd had a real emotional roller coaster that week because of an email that I had sent. And I get my feelings hurt really easily. And... I hadn't heard about this email. This was the first I'd heard about this email. And she wasn't bringing it up to make any issue with me. She was actually saying, and I, then I moved beyond it, and God was really good, and I learned all this stuff. But meanwhile, I'm sitting there feeling like a little bit like my legs had been knocked out from under me because she really should have talked to me about the email. And I'm not very good at pretending when I have my feelings hurt. And I sat there the whole time beating myself up internally and thinking, I'm supposed to be the leader of this group, and this is not about me, and don't bring your feelings into this, Mandy. And the more that I tried to shove it down, the more it just came out. And finally, I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and just fix myself and come back, and it'll be good. But that has never worked for me. There's lots of bathrooms being mentioned here and me running to them, so I'm noticing a theme. Um, so I don't know why I thought this time would be different. But the, more I was, the longer I was in the bathroom, the more I realized my feelings were really hurt, and there was a bunch of other stuff happening in my life anyway, so I probably wasn't able to handle it as well as I would have normally. And, and the more I was in the bathroom, the more I was thinking, I, I didn't want to make this about me, and now it's becoming about me, and so what am I supposed to do with this? And finally, I, I sensed God saying, don't you realize yet that there is truth in your feelings and that when you share them, people see something fresh? I was like, yes, but I hate that. So I, I actually like forced myself to go back into the room, and in the meantime... The conversation had moved on, and, and uh, another girl was sharing, and she was sharing about what would it look like to really show her true self. And so without wanting to, obviously, the group kind of came to a standstill when the senior pastor walks in in tears, which I hate. I, I don't know many things that I hate more than being that person. Um, and so they were like... What's going on, Mandy? So I was like, I wish this wasn't about me, and I don't want to make it about me, but blah, 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 and this thing happened, and my feelings are really hurt, and I don't want to upset you, and this isn't about you, and I just really need to share with you that this is the first I heard about it, and it hurt my feelings. And I, I did not feel like a leader in that moment. I can tell you that. And I don't even fully understand what happened next, but somehow in that 20 minutes that I'd been gone in the bathroom, this other girl had been sharing about what would it look like to really be your true self in front of people. And without meaning it, I basically was like, here's an illustration of what this would look like. And then, so that was beautiful. And then the girl who had begun talking um, had this moment of like, oh my goodness, I had no idea and I should probably change and I blah, blah, you know. So there was that happening. And then somebody else confessed that there was a situation in their life that they hadn't resolved with somebody. And I was like, what just happened here? I've been gone for 20 minutes. And all these things broke through because I went to that place. 
And I could tell you story after story after story. Not all of them include me crying and running to the bathroom. That just so happens to be the way things are tonight. But uh, as I've found the, uh, the grace to and the courage, it t- it's scary and I hate it. But as I've stepped into the courage of letting my weakness be seen, whether it's I'm sick today or I'm not feeling great in my marriage today or I don't have an answer today or I don't feel God today or I just need to rest today or whatever it is that we all have. I'm not unique in that. Somehow, as I have stepped into the courage of sharing those places, I have been surprised and astounded at how God has used it in their life and in my life as well to watch how he has shown himself and brought me grace and brought them grace in those places. It's, it's truly beautiful. And I am starting to believe the gospel in more ways than I ever have. Because this is not just about, I'm not really good at my job and I need God's help to help me be better at my job. This is about, oh my God, I need you. This is about, I am a broken, limited human. And I cannot fix all of the troubles in my life and in this world by myself. Will you come down? And there's a beautiful way in which we, when we feel that desperation, we, we do everything that we can in our lives to avoid feeling the desperation. And, and to be perfectly honest with, with you, I think this is true of the whole Western world, but this country in particular is in such a habit of strength that it's, it's hard to even stop and realize all of the things that we've learned to keep up the illusion of strength. And I've watched people, when they get to that moment of desperation, and they, they numb it, they just want to get on Netflix. They just want to avoid it however they can. Or they want to overcome it in some way. They think, well, we'll just work harder. We'll just buy something. We'll just fix it, because that's what we do. We're strong, and we fix it. Or they, they want to fight it in some way. And, and for, for us to have the, the moment to just stop and think, in a time of desperation, God's people have always cried out to him, and he has come to their aid. But we've got out of that habit. And so what would it look like for us in our own faith and in our ministries to see that moment when the sermon just isn't coming together do we want to read another book and work a little harder and, and drive ourselves into a shameful place? Or do we step away from the computer and say, my God, will you come down? Will you show yourself in my desperate place? I am tired. I don't have enough ideas. It's just not coming together, God. This is your church. These are your people. This is your word. I am yours. What will you do here? And I haven't yet found him say, sorry, I haven't got time for that. And so I just, I, I want to share that story with you because I hope you can see the joy in my face. I hope that you can see the hope. It scares me to death, and I hate it most of the time, and yet at the same time, it's so beautiful. And so I wanted to share with you how, you know, that has kind of got, grown from my staff seeing it to my congregation seeing it. And now we're going to talk tomorrow about oh, the preaching side of it. But uh, I have found how the days when I had such a beautifully shaped sermon and all of the points were just perfectly worded and I thought, I'm going to wow them. They're just not going to forget this sermon. And I just, it just fell flat. I just didn't see it working for people. 
And the days when I'm still learning it myself and I have no idea how it's going to come together and I'm just sick in my stomach because I'm so anxious about how it's all going to fall into place and I'm up there crying out for God's help as I'm saying every word and people say to me, this is powerful. This, and I want to say, are you sure you're using the right word? Because that felt like the opposite of power to me. I was like, my, I'm sweating here. I'm shaking in my shoes. I don't feel powerful. And when that happens, when people see power and I'm shaking, I know it's not my power. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I'm coming to find freedom from being in a place in front of people. I'm an introvert. I don't like doing anything in front of people apart from looking just great. But to actually be in front of people and to say, this situation is so far beyond me that it's not funny. We have no choice here but to trust God. And together we're trusting God. And so I'm no longer the one they're following. I'm the example of what it looks like to follow God. And my goodness, I need him. And so I just, I want to invite you into the, the joy and the freedom of this. And I wanted to share with you, I, I made some notes, because it's been a long time since I wrote that manuscript, it seems. So I wrote a few notes to just remind me some of the, the details of what this actually looks like. I've come to call the culture that has grown from this ministry on a human scale. If you've ever uh, look, looked at architecture, you know, architects think about how the spaces that they shape will communicate to us. So in this space here, there's a kind of a, a closeness built by the shape of this space. This was 10 times the size. If this was a football stadium, we'd feel very different in this space. And architects are thoughtful of that. And so what would it look like for us to design a ministry on a human scale? The understanding that we as pastors are human but also that the people that we're pastoring are human. And that it has to allow for what it means to be human, for our own limitations. And so kind of out of necessity, we've shaped this kind of culture of what this looks like. So let me tell you a few of the kind of characteristics of ministry on a human scale. By nature, it requires us to be collaborative because no one person can have everything together. And not only is this just helpful to in, invite a different mix of voices, and not only does it take the pressure off the person who's running the show, it actually makes better ideas. It surprises me that people have a hard time being collaborative because when you've tossed an idea out there, I think people feel afraid of losing the control of it. There's a way that you can still shape it. If, if I think I used the illustration in the book of, um, if we're, you know, I would still say, we're making soup. We're not making paper mache, and we're not making, I don't know, something. Like, we're making soup here. So there is, there is going to be certain things that are going to work in our brainstorming here and certain things that just aren't going to work. So it's not like you're just like, I don't know what we're going to do. What are we, we going to do? You know? So there's still a way that we can lead in our casting a vision around being collaborative. Um, and so I've seen how if... Uh, if a community is going to be the place where an idea is put into practice, then a community is going to be the best place to shape that idea. So it actually gets this multifaceted, beautiful kind of way of forming this three-dimensional thing. 
And when you create an idea in a collaborative way, there's never a moment at which you then have to force it upon people because they've been in the process all along. And I hear pastors say, I can never get my people to get on board with my ideas. That's just not a problem when you've all shaped it together and you've been all part of the dreaming together. So uh, this ministry on a human scale has to be collaborative. And I think of this, one of my favorite parts of my job is singing the doxology every Sunday. And when I get to lead it, it's a beautiful reminder of what all of ministry is because I sing the first note and the whole community comes in by the second note and suddenly we're all singing together. And this is what ministry feels like for me, that I just have to pick a note and choose when to sing it and trust that the community will come in. And so there's a way in which this is what all of ministry looks like for me. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's reassuring to us as pastors as well that we're not all alone in, in the ideas that we have to shape or the vision that we have to cast. We might have to sing the first note, but there's a whole community of people who are going to come into the song with us together. Another factor here or a descriptor of this ministry on a human scale is that it has to be comfortable with process. And I love it because I know you guys say process, but... My whole, my whole church has to say process. So for the next two days, we're going to be saying process. And uh, I love it because we have a couple of art students in, in our church, and when they have to work on a big, like, end-of-semester kind of project, oh, there's another one. <laughs> Just realized that. Uh, I also say produce. What do you guys say? Produce. I say produce. There you go. It's switched for that one. There you go. We've learned something tonight. Um, so these art students, when they have to have a big project that's due at the end of the semester, the whole semester they have to keep a, a process journal. And so they have to keep track of all of their influences, all of their thoughts, if they're making progress, if they're not making progress. And so they have to keep this, this whole journal of the process. And I love that. There's not many other fields that value the process. Most of them are just like, I don't care, give me the product. But that's the human experience. We really very rarely get product. Most of our life is process. And so there's a way in which in a ministry on a human scale, we need to value the process, which, is, which may be the process of coming to know God. Our whole lives, we're going to be in that process. And so it's only natural then that, that a ministry shaped like this would be, nat would be uh, okay with process as well. Of course, it needs to be comfortable with uncertainty. It's built into our nature that we're just not always going to understand things, and it's built into God's nature that he's going to be beyond our understanding. And so this kind of ministry on a human scale needs to be comfortable with, with the mystery, with the uncertainty, whether it's how do we deal with this problem, how do we heal this person, how do we understand God, how do we understand the Bible. It's all mystery, right? And there are some moments of clarity, but at the same time, there's so much that is not, and part of this, this ministry on a human scale needs to allow for those things. Playfulness is a huge piece for us, and this is what gives me so much joy, that God doesn't seem to have a problem with our joy. In fact, he wants us to have joy, and our ministries grow from that. And uh, I, I've done a little, there's a man called Stuart Brown. He has the best job in the world. He runs the National Institute for Play, which, I mean, how do you even get that job? And he's written a book that's just called Play, and he talks about play personalities. And I love this idea that we each have 
you know, we all played in many ways when we were kids, but I think for most of us, there was this thing that we just had to do. And as soon as we got home from school, we dropped our bag and we were there before anybody even knew where we were. And for some of us, it was like, get up a tree. Go climb that tree. Somebody else was like, you know, on their bike. Somebody else was making up stories. You know, each of us, if you can remember, there is something that you just had to do as a child. And that thing didn't go away when you grew up. Not that you can, like, play Legos for ministry, although I'm sure there's some way we could figure that out. But there are ways in which I watch my son play with Legos, and I know he's creating things. He's imagining systems. And I see how that, when it grows up, could become building a church, literally and metaphorically. And so there are ways, like, one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid Uh, I remember one time I wanted to write a song to enter a song competition, and I got all my friends together, and we recorded this song that I had written, and it was one of the best things that I was doing a creative thing with a group of friends. And it was a beautiful moment when I realized that that's kind of how ministry feels to me as well, that there's this beautiful collaborative creative thing happening that we're all doing together. And it it was so wonderful to acknowledge that that those things that I long to do in play have a way of finding an outlet through our ministries. And so there's, there's a lot of moments in our ministry at UCC where we're purposefully playful. One of them is right before the service, we have, you know, that gather up time where you pray and you go over the service for the day. And there's so much playful teasing and messing around. And I know that some people probably think it's really irreverent to do that right before the service, but it actually alleviates a lot of the stress that we're feeling. And it's a way of acting out or a way of living out the the thing that we believe, which is that it's not all up to us. This is not a performance. And so we have the, the luxury of messing around a little bit now because we know it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's important for us to do our best, but in the end, there is this other thing happening that we are not in control of, and that's a really good thing. Uh, and then also, ministry on a human scale needs to be experimental. If you've ever uh, been the, you know, looking at a blank sheet of paper where you're supposed to write something or a blank canvas where you're supposed to paint something, any time there's, there's this, this thing you have to create, You can be just taunted by the blankness of it. And if you're like me, I think we all do this. We kind of think, will it be any good? Is it going to be good? If not, why bother bother doing it if it's not going to be good? If I can't guarantee now that it's going to be good, why should I do it? And that just kills so many creative endeavors, and it kills ministry. And so I know there's a lot of talk at the moment about just a more experimental approach where failure is not the worst thing in the world, and where we can try and learn as we go. That's what life is, right? I've watched this with with even generational differences with an iPad. When my parents got an iPad, they they were looking for the instruction manual. I know there isn't even such a thing with an iPad, you know, and they wanted to understand it before they even turned it on. But when my kids first got their hands on an iPad, they didn't care. They were just like, well, let's find out what's going on here, you know. And so I'd love, I, if, If we found out one day that Apple was trying to teach us to be more experimental, I would totally get it. I don't think that's what their plan was. But it has created this venue for us to just be like, I don't know, switch it on and let's let's try it out. And and I think a ministry on a human scale approach allows for that kind of approach to to the church as well. And then finally, uh, ministry on a human scale needs to be transparent. And I know that there are ways for us to overshare. There are ways to be vulnerable in in unhealthy ways. 
Uh, and, and I don't think we're ever going to really learn the best balance of that by just sitting around and thinking about it. The only way I've had to learn it is to just kind of make mistakes and realize, oh, that wasn't right, and, and apologize. But in the end, the best ways that we're going to share come from serving the other person. And, and if we're honest, there are times when we say too much to draw attention to ourselves, and there are times when we don't say enough in order to keep attention from going to God. And so for me, I think it's an extrovert-introvert thing, but for me, the hardest thing is to speak. I want to hold it in, and I want to look good, and I, I want to maybe even protect the things that I don't fully understand yet. Maybe God's working, I don't know yet. I don't want to say it just in case that's not really what's going on here. So I'll just keep it to myself. But our testimony is one of the things that will make us overcomers. And so I'm choosing, even though I'd rather hold it in and make sure I understand it before I say it, to say, I think I see God at work here. I think I'm watching something. I think I'm experiencing something. And uh, so, and like I've said, I've seen grace break through by the ways that we are transparent. But it's hard to figure out the best ways to do that unless we're actually willing to jump in and learn the hard way. I wanted to share with you, too, uh, some of the ways that, and we'll have time for questions in a little bit, too. But I just wanted to share with you what this has actually become for us. And uh, how this has changed me personally um, and, and in my own ministry, what I think it's done for me is I now spend an awful lot of time emptying myself. And so my prayers have changed significantly. My prayers aren't any longer, here is the skull I have, here is this thing I want, do that for me, God. And they're not even really, I would expect a, a pastor would be praying this long list of prayers for all the different people in the congregation. But instead, every morning when I go for a walk, I'm just, I often say, it's a really gross illustration, but it's what it feels like. I feel like I'm vomiting and asking God to clean it up, basically. And so it's this, this act of emptying, constantly emptying, and getting to the bottom of what is in the way of what God wants to fill. I uh, often use this story. If you've ever watched 30 Rock, there's an there's a, uh, episode of 30 Rock that references this, so try to put that out of your mind for a minute if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, it, but it's based on a, a book and a movie called Touching the Void, and it's where Joe Simpson uses, uh, he tells his story, a true life story. He's a mountaineer, and he goes climbing with a friend on some immense mountain down in uh, South America somewhere. And they get to a moment, there's a huge storm, and there's this crisis moment, and Joe's safety line gets cut. And he goes sliding down the rock face of this mountain and into a crevasse. And if you've ever taken a geology class, my geology professor, like the word crevasse just strikes fear into my heart because he would always say, do not ever go near a crevasse. If you ever see a crevasse, go the other direction. Because a crevasse is just vertical walls. There is no coming out of a crevasse, and it just seems to go down and down forever. And not only that, this was an ice crevasse. So Joe finds himself just dangling in this ice crevasse. His leg is broken. And of course, it's natural. You've fallen down this way. You want to climb back up again. So for hours and hours in the cold and in the dark, the sun sets, and by this time, he's in the middle of the night, dangling down in this ice crevasse with his leg broken and scrambling up the side, hoping to get an inch or, or two inches back closer up to the opening of this crevasse. 
But after hours and hours, he is just exhausted. And he just knows it's not going to happen. I'm going to die here in the dark by myself. But then this moment comes. And when he tells this part of the story, something in my head just broke. Because he said, what if I just lowered myself down? What if I let myself go further down into the crevasse and hope that there's some way out? And, you know, my heart just was like, no, Joe, you're going down into the depths of the earth. There is no way out. And his leg is broken. For every inch he goes down, there's no way he's climbing back up again. There's no return. And so he tells the story of how he lowers himself down and down into this darkness. And you just, you just, want, you just want to scream when you hear this story. It goes against everything in our self-preservation. And yet this is what he did. And I have to be honest with you, this is what it feels like to me now. Because as much as I would like to scramble, I see the light above. I see everything I should be, and I want to be that. I want to meet that ideal. I want to be full and beautiful and strong. And I scramble. My leg is broken, but I'm scrambling desperately to get back to that place. And it goes against everything that our culture teaches us, every bit of self-preservation in our hearts to say, no, I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to lower myself down and down, and it feels like death. But our God is a God of deaths and resurrections, and this is our story. And I can promise you what I have found at the bottom is not abyss, is not darkness and hopelessness. But instead, I found more space to fill with my crying out, my God, will you come? And he has come. And the, the God who spoke light into creation promises to fill us with his fullness, with his unfading treasure. And I can tell you, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever found. It goes against everything in me to lower myself, to empty myself, and to say, I'm going to make more space for him to show himself. But he will if we just let him, if we just get ourselves out of the way. And so, so much of my time now is spent just, ugh, just getting all of my fears out there, getting all of my own efforts out there, and confessing to God constantly my efforts to be strong enough, my efforts to look great, my efforts to draw attention to myself, it hurts. It's hard, and it goes against everything. But I'm kind of getting a little bit addicted to it at the same time because I know what comes afterwards, the fullness of his spirit and his life that gives somehow gives me what I need. I've never really understood the Holy Spirit. I'm understanding him in deeper ways that I cannot explain because I'm forced to be in a place where I need him. And so this is my prayer for all of us, that somehow we'll find a way to go against everything our culture has taught us and step into this. This is what we're supposed to be good at. And so I, uh, it has changed so much of my approach to my life and to my God and to my work. Um, I don't accomplish anywhere near as much as I probably could. I rest. I give other people a chance to rest. And I am seeing so much fruit 
It's beautiful. My church is growing. Uh, and it's not because of anything that I'm doing. It's because God is, is being seen in the ways that we now, the beautiful thing is now it's not about me. It's, it's about how this, this whole staff has got a taste of it. And then the church is getting a taste of it. And my prayer is that the community is watching something break through. And so this has changed how I measure what success looks like. This has changed how I use my time. This has changed um, how I study the Bible. When I begin preaching, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, but the way I start when I'm going to preach is I go to bed and I listen to the Bible over and over and over again. Sometimes I fall asleep and I think God's okay with that. Um, So it's just given me a sense of peace that somehow God is comfortable with my humanity. I still have to work hard. I'm not lazy. I work like crazy. But at the same time, there's, there's such a sense of peace that, that somehow, for him, our weakness is a ministry resource. And we have unlimited resources when it comes to weakness. Uh, so I think one of the reasons why this gives me real hope, and I'll, I'll say this and then, then I'll finish and we can have some question time or just discussion time. I'd love to hear any stories that you guys have as well. Um, One of the the reasons why this gives me real hope is that a church that is strong uh, doesn't really have any need for God and doesn't really reflect to other people in the community what it looks like to need God. And I I have to say to you, I've lived in this country long enough that I think I have earned the right to say there are some ways that this, this country, the church in this country disturbs me deeply. And the biggest part is to do with forgetting what it means to need God. We've created such a business, such an industry, such a factory, an army, a brand. None of those things need God. And so I'm with people often who are starting to sense something's breaking in the church in this country. Something isn't working the way it used to work. Some of our systems and programs are falling flat. And I'm sensing desperation. I'm sensing scrambling a little bit. I'm sensing wanting to fix it. And people who are strong, when something breaks, just start looking for a fix. Something else to buy. Some new way to work harder. Some some other fix. But when I see that desperation... I think it's beautiful. If we'll just remember what we do with desperation, if we'll remember that throughout the centuries when God's people felt desperate, they cried out to God. And when they do, he comes. But until we do that, until we realize how much we need him, how can we really bring hope to the world around us? Because really, a lot of the time, all they see from us is easy answers and judgment and dogma and finger-pointing, and I don't see anybody coming to know Christ through that. But when the church gets on its knees and says, Father, we are broken, we need you so badly, will you show yourself? Everything we've tried in the past doesn't work anymore. Our, Our resources are dwindling, our Bible colleges are closing, our churches are falling apart, our denominations are crumbling, 
when will you show yourself we need you? And I think he's going to come when we remember how to say that. And so this is not just about one pastor having a bad day or one church reading a book about the vulnerable pastor. This is about the church, our beautiful ecclesia, remembering how to need her beloved. And that's something really worth celebrating. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this beautiful church that you have made. We thank you, Lord, for redeeming her. We thank you for her purity. We're sorry for what we have done to her. We're sorry for what we have made her. We want to restore ourselves back to your vision of what your people will be in this world. Father, you know the damage is done to our own hearts. As followers and as leaders, Father, you know the ways that we have pressures placed upon us and ideals that we stretch towards that are not from you. And Father, we want to break free of those. We want to remember what it means to need you. Father, you know each heart here. You know each life, each story, each church that's represented. You know the need. You know the next step of what it looks like to move towards you in this way. Father, let yourself be known in each heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to a special episode of the Theology on Mission podcast, bringing to you the audio from the 2015 Missional Commons. We are broadcasting here from Northern Seminary. If you want to make sure you don't miss any of the other special episodes from the Missional Commons on the mission of preaching, be sure to subscribe to Theology on Mission. Find us on Facebook, Theology on Mission page. And if you're already subscribed and already listening, we'd love to have a review. Uh, Dave and I will be recording a new podcast soon, and the other ones will be coming out in the next couple weeks. See you later.